You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Jakob Jorgensen. Jakob, thanks so much for being with me today. Yeah, thank you. Welcome. It's a, it's a pleasure talking to you. Jakob, we're going to talk about your show, Take Root, uh, at HB381, which is which is up now. We're talking on March 13th, and the show runs until April 22nd. And um, I, I want to talk about it because it's a really kind of remarkable and beautiful show. I, I first want to ask you where you are now, because I know you're also um, in an unusual place. Can you tell me where you are that you're talking to me from? Yeah, uh, right now I'm in, in White Sands in uh, New Mexico. And, uh, yeah, I'm traveling uh, in the U.S. with uh, my wife and my child. Uh, yeah, so we are after, after the opening in New York, we, we took a plane to, to El Paso and, uh, yeah, went to Marfa uh, and Texas. And then, yeah, now we're driving up through the desert and going up to Santa Fe uh, and that area. Yeah, so it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a two-week trip in, in, uh, in West than the west of uh, U.S. and and Marfa, of course, is a is a you know legendary uh, place because of course of Donald Judd and and the many artists that have been through there. How do you how do you like it? Did you have any impressions or um, you know relationship to, to to your work seeing these kind of remarkable places, both Marfa and White Sands? Yeah, I mean, Marfa, I, I wanted to go, and also my wife, who's also artist and designer, we wanted to go for yeah, as uh, as many years as we known about the place. Uh, and of course, it, it, it's two things. It's of course Donald Judd and everything he did there, but it's also uh, the landscape and this completely other experience of uh, United States. Uh, but definitely seeing the work that Don, Don Jot has done there was uh, fantastic. Uh, and I, I, I mean, it's, I think uh, now I kind of more understand of maybe in an emotional way what he's doing. I mean, when I saw the pieces in the Shinati Foundation, the 100 aluminium pieces he did, and the way they kind of interact with the landscape and the light, it's just, uh, it just made sense in a completely different way. Yeah, so definitely the way that he he was interested in in as in specific spaces where his work could be seen uh, that made sense in a in a new way when I was there. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, that's very much a sculptural issue, right? This issue of um, the space in yeah. which the sculpture is seen. I mean, you you've worked outdoors, which we'll talk about. HB three eighty one. It's a relatively small gallery, but um, but the issue of how sculpture is seen, how it's ultimately framed is quite different than, than the issue of how it's shown in the gallery, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say that I work outside because that's the option I have where, where we moved and where we live now. Uh, it was possible uh, for this show to do an outdoor space to work in. I mean, we're planning to to build also a, a, a space where you could work inside, but it's not, it's not done yet. So, I mean, I, I, it's not that I, I have to be outside to work or anything. It was kind of more what was possible. Uh, but, of course, it makes sense in the scale I'm in and uh, also what I'm doing to be outside. I mean, as long as, you know, it's summer and the weather is, is, uh, is not preventing 
from being outside it it's it's fantastic to work outside <clears throat> and i think also the context, like but the context of how it's seen right like in marfa there's what donald judd did and it's also how it should ultimately be seen right is it yeah. in a in a sculpture park is it in inside and and what kind of light should it have be natural or something i mean those are some of the issues that that he was dealing with that must be what's impacting how you're seeing uh, his sculpture and yours correct yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I think one of the biggest things, uh, I, not biggest things, but really interesting things that uh, was in the Sinatra Foundation, in this old uh, hangar where he installed these 100 <coughs> aluminum pieces. That I, I noticed that they were not aligned anymore. I mean, they're very specific uh, dimensioned because of the room and the symmetry in the room, and but they're not aligned anymore. So I asked the guide why why they were not like that because I couldn't imagine Donald Judd deciding it to be a little bit random and it was because of the temperature is changing from cold to hot and that makes the metal contract and uh, and then they move probably just millimeters every year <laughs> but over time they're actually going out of line and, and that was uh, really interesting to see because he of course had a specific uh, idea about how it should be in the space, but but you know somehow nature is kind of in, interrupting, and also this whole thing that um, when he died he said everything should be left as they are, and he I think they said he wrote that in his will, uh, but of course nobody knows what he then meant anymore. Is it if things are moving by themselves, would they then be corrected, or are they still in the right spot? <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting to see. To see that in kind of uh, yeah the way Donald Jock has worked with space that's that still nature is kind of doing something so yeah well let's talk about that with your work um, I, I want to discuss the show take root um, and and maybe we can talk about that title to talk about the kind of your relationship to nature what struck me was I mean a number of things in this show but you you walk into the gallery and we see these large um, sculptures, and then when we go downstairs, we see a video of you taking one of the sculptures and filling it, you know, with, um, with, with wood and burning inside it, making it almost a chimney. It looks like you're with your uh, child doing that. You're outside in this, what looks to me like a fantastic landscape that you're, that you're then filling in another way with... Um, with the smoke, the burning of this, right? The the, the yeah. video starts with you you know, uh, igniting it, and it and and to me, kind of ends with this enormous amount of uh, of smoke, which you know struck me as that's that's sculptural itself, right? The way you're changing how we're looking at the landscape and space, which is why I was so interested in your your experience at Marfa. So can you tell me a little bit about that video and the relationship to this to this show, Take Root? Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, to start the, the Take Root as a title is more like, yeah, we, we moved just uh, two and a half years ago to this new place in a quite remote island. And, uh, yeah, so the, doing this exhibition, the whole, I mean, uh, has been a lot about settling at that place. Uh, so that's kind of where the title is coming from. And then I think that... But wait, the, but wait, wait, I'm sorry, but before you go on, can you just tell me where that remote island is exactly? Yeah, it's called Bornholm. It's in the Baltic Sea. It's between Sweden and Poland, and it's uh, it's kind of it's not. I mean, it takes like three and a half, four hours to go to Copenhagen, 
by boat and then by car through uh, Sweden. So it's not very close to Denmark, but it's still a Danish island. So, so it's kind of in the middle of the sea, and it's it's not very small. It has 40,000 people living there. Uh, I don't know how many acres it is or anything, but it's it is still kind of outside of Denmark. You know, you're, you're in the sea. Yeah, so we moved there two and a half years ago, and it's been. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of, I don't, I don't know, a struggle to settle down, but it's been maybe a little bit different than I thought. So, you know, I so doing this show was really important part of kind of settling because I started to work there with my sculptures, and that was a big part of kind of settling there. Uh, so, yeah, so basically the title kind of comes from that process, uh, take root of rooting somewhere. Um, and then, yeah, to jump, yeah, sorry. No, and then, and then uh, so that's the working there, the take, taking root there. Yeah, go, go on. So then that relates to the burning, the smoke uh, of, this, of this sculpture. I know it's also changing the material of it, uh, yeah. but that is, to me, it was almost like a performance. It's part of your medium, but you're, you're also yeah, interacting sure. with the landscape itself, correct? Yeah, it is, uh, it is uh, part of, uh, yeah, it is, yeah, exactly like you said. Yeah, but then I, I think that, I mean, it's like I just, it's, uh, I can explain it, but you know, there's, it's, there's so many levels of why it's to do it. I mean, that's, uh, one of the first is that I just always wanted to do that with one of the tubes I'm doing. And then when I punch the hole, it, it's kind of like an obvious thing, uh, idea to have and uh, to do that, to make a fire in it. Uh, and then it's, cont- as a continue thinking about why I'm doing it, it's also like, you know, we, we live very remote. And it's kind of like a, making us, I don't know, a sign or saying we're here. You know, it's its like a, make, making a gesture or kind of a hope for our kind of presence at our spot and where we are trying to, to build a new home. But I think it's definitely, you know, like lighthouses. You know, it's just, we, we live just next to the sea, like uh, 85 meters above the sea level. So, so it is kind of also sending out like a sign, you know, like you do with lighthouses. And, that, and that's kind of fascinating by itself to like make a, a point in the landscape like that. Uh, that's definitely part of the, the idea. And then you could say the smoke. I mean, a lot of, there was a lot of coincidences. In my head, I, always, I wanted to do it with, when there was snow. And it's very rare that we actually have that much snow. I mean, sometimes you can have a couple of months with snow, but the are years between. And I put up the sculpture, and I, I just had like uh, two more days before I, I had to have it done to, to kind of keep my schedule. And then there was snow just for three days. <laughs> so so everything, it just worked with the, uh, with my idea. Uh, yeah, and then the smoke was, I, I basically put in a little bit too much of uh, pine uh you know, not the leaves, but uh, you know, they have small green, green uh, stickers. Uh, I put a big bunch. The of needles are the pine yeah, cones. Yeah, 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 exactly. The needles, and they're they're really hard to get fired. Actually, they're not wet; they're all dried. So it took a long time to get, longer than I imagined to get going. So I got all of that smoke as a kind of present. I mean, it, it was hard to imagine exactly how it would be. Yeah, and you're exactly right. What it does in the in the video installation is that it really kind of almost paints the whole landscape white because you also have the snow. So, so it definitely adds a, a layer to it. Yeah. 
And then, and then there's looking at these works that are coming out of it because, I mean, that one, uh, I, I love your description of it as also a way of making, you know, a sign like a lighthouse that we're here and, um, and that you're here. This, of course, that same piece is now in the gallery and we're yeah. looking at other pieces. Um, and, of course, this is industrial material that you've manipulated, but in, in that piece in particular, which looks almost like a, a totem pole, uh, there's there's now another history to it, right? This also has a history as something that is was used in a way, right? The other sculpture, as I understand it, wasn't burned in the same yeah. way. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it acts as a layer to that specific piece, you know, because, uh, but but the other ones are, you could say, just what they are. I mean, they don't have, like, a a history layer on top. Of course, you could say in the title, you I add kind of like a, there's a small history to it. Uh, in, in that sense, I'm really reflecting now as I'm here and seeing Donald Judd and know more about minimalism, that, you know, it's not, it's, I mean, in a way, I'm, I feel very connected to Donald Judd and, and minimalistic art. And, but in, and, and I think a lot of what I'm doing is that I'm, it's very minimal what I do to the tubes. And there's only one, there's only one attempt. If it doesn't succeed, it's just ruined. You know, it's it's like you you heat something, you punch, and then you can't redo it. So so uh, and it's very minimal what I do. So in that way, I feel a connection. But uh, in the other uh, level, I I still feel that they're saying something, uh, telling some history. Like that's what the burning is about, and and that's not minimalistic. You know, then I would just say it's what it is <laughs> but i think it, it, for me i'm i'm wondering what it is so so i can't say it is what it is if that makes sense well it does make sense and i'd like to ask more about that so right in in way uh, and this is a nice way to kind of uh, put it in in context with donald judd yours are uh, almost telling a story right as as and that's not what donald judd was doing in his form of minimalism yours are also Minimalist, but as you're saying, just like the one we just spoke of with the uh, with the video and everything else, you're ta- you're telling something more of a story. At, at the very least, there's the story of what you were just discussing about how that was uh, used as a type of performance, as as a, as a little bit about where you were taking root and more. So. Um, so though I know you're saying you can't really describe them, yet there are stories in here, right? We're talking about things that aren't just pure form and, uh, and, and minimalism. There's a, uh, can we say, a narrative in here? There are stories embedded in each one? Yeah, I, I would say. I mean, that's how I feel. I'm just, I'm, it's just hard to say what the stories are. I mean, they could be so diverse. I mean, uh, but the, I, I, I think there are, and I think, one of the reasons maybe there are stories is that when you start with the cylinder with the tube and you start manipulating it by itself, it becomes like uh, natural things like trees and 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 yeah, you can find so many references or I can in nature, but that, I haven't started in nature and saying I want to make something that looks like a tree. I'm just more started to investigate a material and the potential with forms, and then I kind of noticed that, yeah, okay, that one looks like a tree or a wound in a tree, you know. Uh, so in that way, there, there are narrative 
when you start manipulating, I think because it 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 just leans so much towards uh, nature, I think. But uh, but it's it's kind of you could say both. It's it's really up to maybe up to me and of course up to people who are looking at it what kind of story you can get out of it. But but uh, well, it's interesting to say that. I mean, I I initially initially had the association uh, of some of these as um as the you know what we know of as a Native American or indigenous form of a totem pole, right? And the totem pole is something that that carries a story, right? This it's it's a very specific narrative story of of, of different types of um, gods or spirits or people. So you know, though yours isn't that specific, it takes that form and even the rising form, or or like you said, what looks like a a wound or or, or an entry point. Uh, yeah. That does seem to tell a, a, a story to me, even even if I don't know the stories of the of the, for example, Native American totem poles, and, and you can stop me if that's not the right association or not a good association, but that we don't know the stories, but they are there. These feel like something that's being built, right? That's rising. Yeah, but I, I think the, the totem, I, t- I totally see that. I mean, it's like, as I understand the totem poles, they're, they're about imitating a specific animal or thing in nature to get, to gain power from that animal or that specific thing. That's why they did the totem poles. So, so I think that narrative is, is working for sure. It's uh, I, yeah, I think so. You're not a, you're not an assassin. Oh, that's, right? that, that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't know quite that about totem poles, but that makes sense. So in in a way, you're saying, as a, as a sculptor, you're, you're working in, in, in nature, you're working in, you know, Bornholm, in, in a very unusual place. And, and, and if I understand what you're saying correctly, part of what's happening here is, is not unlike that, um, that ancient use of the, of the totem. This is about your relationship to nature, your, your, your dialogue with nature, almost. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say. I mean, I, I, I go uh, and also with my family a lot to the forest, and and so the, so so all of the. I mean, the the trees who are references are just all around. So yeah, it's just not. The, the funny thing is, just it's not a starting point. You know, there, there would be two ways of going: either uh, discovering it by chance, doing something else, or trying to do it and then discover the other thing, which probably would have been impossible. I mean. It, it, I mean, first time I, I ever <clears throat> manipulated something in a in a tube, in a steel tube. I mean, I, I didn't know what, what was going to happen. I mean, it's something that most people have done in a workshop. When you're introduced to the hydraulic press, uh, a lot of people take something, some tube, and and take the press and uh, and smash it, you know. But but I kind of just really got aware that when you do it, a lot of uh, if you do it a little bit controlled, uh, you, there's so many possibilities because that you know the tube is um, is always trying to to stay in form. You know, it's 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 kind of uh, pulling against what you're doing in a kind of imaginative way. You know, so it, it's trying to stay in its form, and when you hit it, you know, it 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 just goes down, or you know, it's uh, yeah. So, so in that way, it's like. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, the starting point was really just pure uh, form investigation, and then I just all the layers just came on top of wow, it's a tree, or you know, it's yeah. And now it becomes a conversation more. with the material. You're talking about a conversation with the material, almost that kind of push and pull. Uh, 
it sounds like. Yeah, 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 it, it is. And it's also like always thinking what, uh, what can you do more? I mean, what, how can you, uh, you know, I, I always experiment in, in small tubes, trying out different things, seeing what's interesting and what is working. And, and the, the tricky part is not, is always having very simple tools uh, and heat because uh, you know if you start you can you can end up building a lot of very big tools to control processes or you know but it's 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 all about trying to make so simple tools and still being able to make very basically complex forms uh, and then yeah of course as you also said in the beginning as a reference it's it's leaning up of industrial processes i mean all all I have done in the exhibition you could find uh, in smaller scale or even in big scale used in industries in, with tubes. Uh, I, I just kind of condensed it to a, a sculptural uh, uh, yeah, piece or uh, yeah, like mm -hmm. that. It's a beautiful show and, and, and in that space these, also these pieces, I mean as you're talking about scale right now of course in the gallery space in HB uh, 381, which there's links to here so people can visit before April 22nd if they can. But in the space, they take on uh, an even another form, right? As opposed to seeing them outside, they must feel huge to you inside, right? There's a different dialogue between the pieces, isn't there, when they're in a gallery? Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, when they're outside, uh, at home, they don't feel that big, and there are, you know, bigger things just around, other trees, and, you know, so, so they seem smaller when they're outside, and, and definitely uh, when they come into a wide space, they, they seem uh, much bigger, and, and, and I think more interesting to see them in, inside than outside, or at least outside, maybe they require, like, an open space, um, yeah. But I think the other thing about scale is that I'm, I'm like, I, I've been scaling up through the years. You know, I started with smaller tubes and scaling up and scaling up. And I, I mean, my kind of ambition or point of interest is also scaling even up more because you can get very big tubes. So you could make something that you could also walk into. So you both have like a, a, a sculptural form, but it's huge and it also has a, an interior. So you could walk through it or go in and, and look up through it. That that would be very interesting to work in that even bigger scale. And that would yeah. either still in a space or outside. Uh, but it takes, I mean, every time I scale up, it takes, it's not, you know, it's everything gets more heavy. And uh, yeah, for this show, I had to buy a forklift. So it's like if I scale up even more, I don't know, <laughs> it's a shipyard or something. Yeah. Yeah, something, something, something even bigger. Well, that's exciting. Um, Jacob, I want to thank you for talking with me today. I want to encourage the listeners to see the show if they can before April 22nd. And again, Jacob, thank you uh, for making this beautiful work, and I appreciate your time today. Thanks again right. so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs>